0: about to, yeah, build up and put that DA through and we can put another two, two or four units on there and, and the minute we go up one level, yeah, we've got amazing views and that, that will change, uh, you know, a $4 million uh, investment um, to a $12 million investment, wow. 10 or 12 depending.
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Taran Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Sydney's top buyer's agent, Walter Nanny. We'll hear about the most run-down house he's ever seen which helped him to purchase his first real estate business at 22, the lucky escape he made from a beautiful seaside location and the surprising amount of properties sold in Australia that don't even make it onto the market. Nanny has been working as a real estate agent since he was 20 years old after being inspired by the men he saw around him who owned up to 20 properties.
0: I started asking them and picking their brain and seeing how they do it um, and uh, and along the line I started seeing examples or opportunities and I guess I'm one where um, when I see an opportunity I don't like to let it go uh, and that's been uh, a, a huge part of the success and also something that I need to watch uh, as well where I've Started to decline some opportunities because you don't want to get too big or too, you know, too risky as well. So I've always been careful, uh, even though I see opportunities. But I did start seeing some opportunities, and that's how we got started. And uh, and the rest is history, I guess.
1: He ran his own real estate business for 15 years before managing several hard courts franchises. Uh, we changed uh,
0: from being a company called Robert Andrew, which I was a shareholder of the group and a director over to being, um, uh, they sold out to a company called Harcourts who came over from New Zealand, who were well, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in New Zealand. And basically, um, they, after a year or two of running it here themselves, they wanted to appoint someone more local to be the CEO, and and I was running the largest company at the time, you know, out of the, all the offices, so they um, offered me the position, um, which I, I took up. And then basically, um, uh, as far as uh, the, the, what I did was I kept my business running uh, whilst we grew the, uh, the franchise business here in New South Wales from about five uh, shop fronts to about 40, roughly, 38 to 40. And, um, and then um, along the way there, I guess there was some uh, – I did that for about uh, eight or nine years, uh, running that, that as well as my own. And then it was time for me to back out. There was change in management and changes uh, up the top or in the company. And I guess that was partly when I really put the foot down or probably a year or two before I left that I put the foot down as far as on the property investing side because I realized that I guess I needed something that was always going to provide for me and I lost a bit of faith in running these businesses that I, even though I was a shareholder and, and a part owner and all the rest of it, I, it needed a lot of my attention and my time. And I guess you could say that I was disappointed with the outcome after running businesses for 20 years I thought you know what it's not I I didn't think that it was what it uh, it was going to provide for me and my family I guess the way that I thought it would for the rest of our lives and so that's where I really turned to property investing and thought nah this is this is the way it's going to be I've got to really focus on that and that's what I did for the next seven or eight years I owned uh, three properties um, up to that point and that was um, uh, funny enough, I had one of those reminders on Facebook come up with you know the old photos that says hey it's been you know seven years today and and that was an old photo from I think uh, a year or two before I left that company so I'd say yeah seven or eight years ago is when I realised and and really put the foot down and 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 I bought uh, well there you go seven years ago I bought a building of four units in Bondi and uh, and that's when I. I wanted to to basically hit it big and, and do something that was going to um, I guess be a, a big goal for me to, to chew over the next 10 years and I wasn't wrong <laughs> but it was, also, yeah, it was also going to give me the opportunities to really accelerate my goals and my plans.
1: His journey into real estate started with a then 12-year-old brick veneer house that was the autonomy of the worst house on the best street
0: it was just the most run-down house you've ever seen so that you know they had 12 cats living there and you know and, and it was just the wrong people with with the right house and um the price had been reduced because no one could sell it back then from 120 130 down to 99 950 i think and so i offered them uh, 90 i think they didn't take it and then we bought it for 95. And the, the way that that worked is that I, you know, as a young man, I didn't have enough for a deposit. I just bought my, you know, brand new Commodore because that's what you do when you're 20, <laughs> yeah. And, and I thought that was the answer to all my problems. <laughs> and uh, and it was the answer to some problems back then, but not not all of them. But um, I convinced my parents, um, it took a bit of work, but I, I know I convinced mum and dad took a bit of work after that to use their equity and to go halves with me. and. Uh, and yeah, you know, initially Dad didn't want to borrow it, but then I said, hey look, the way we'll do it is I'll do all the renovations and whatever else and then we'll just sell it. Um, and then uh, I reckon this thing will be worth 150 and we'll get our $50,000 and um, they had a mortgage of 75,000, uh, which is, uh, oh sorry, a mortgage of 60,000, their home was worth seventy five, is what they paid for it after the deposit and so forth, they owed 60,000 and um, And basically, they were faced with a 25-year mortgage, you know, and I said, well, that's crazy. Mm. Um, What you want to do is we'll do this and I'll give you the 25 grand and that'll cut half of it off, you know. And so we did it. And uh, within six months, I completely renovated it uh, with some friends and friends of friends and tradies. And um, instead of selling it, we decided to refinance against it because I've got a very good broker. And so we still managed to, um, to refinance and pull out our money and uh, we got roughly twenty five thousand each and I bought my first real estate business at the age of twenty two and with that money and they actually paid you know twenty grand off their mortgage which is great. Mm. So off the back of that we did it again uh, a year later and we did another place for eighty eight thousand we paid and then we that was worth about one thirty, one forty by the time I renovated it. And then I, I can't then the, the, the other the third property I bought off the equity that we then had. Was a block of land uh, down the south coast in a place called Lostamuni, just before Wollongong, and that was to build my dream home. So it wasn't all about investing at that point. I thought, nah, now it's time to, um, you know, do the do the thing and all the rest of it. But then um, uh, I realised that uh, that that wasn't uh, well, my relationship didn't work out for for one, and secondly, it wasn't where I wanted to be, and it wasn't the thing. So I decided to eventually sell that, and I got very lucky that uh, it was a bit of boom period. So even though I uh, held on to it for two or three years. I managed to make a hundred thousand dollars on it before I sold it because that block could have cost me a lot of money. So that was a, a very lucky
1: escape. This was going back to at least the 90s, I assume.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I started real estate in 93, I think. Yeah, 94. And so, um, so yeah, that was probably 95, 96, and
1: a lot of changes happened, obviously, around the New South Wales area.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there is uh, funny. Funny thing though is, I mean, I still do a lot of yeah speaking gigs and seminars about property investing, and the principles are all the same. And I meet a lot of people that have a lot of equity in their homes that are in their forties and fifties, and they have teenage or twenty-year-old kids. And um, and I always talk to them about that story because I think you know it not only set me up, but it's since have set up my whole family, uh, not just my mum and dad, but my sister as well. You know, where we own a lot of property all of us together. Mm. So, um, that's been a huge part of uh, our strategy.
1: Nanny and his wife work together to form the Property Dream Team.
0: My wife and I work together my wife does all the searching as far as whether it's realestate.com domain and we find a lot of off-market and pre-market opportunities as well. Um, Like My phone's been going crazy this morning because agents are actually back now from holiday So they've listed all these properties and saying hey, here's all the property So I'm on the phone most of the day I'm on the phone to um, new potential clients and meeting with new potential clients Because I do in that they get, you know, we do a whole hour of I guess strategy sessions where I deal with a lot of investors Um, Also, you know, uh, home buyers who want to buy their own home But um, I tend to specialize more in investors So that requires planning out a strategy. So mm-hmm. I teach them a strategy where we're able to sit down and go, cool. So that takes about an hour. And then the other things I do is I look at a lot of property. Um, and my my weeks are sort of break up into I do weeks where on a you know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday I'm looking at a lot of off market and pre market properties. On a Thursday, Saturday I'm looking at all the on market stuff. And uh, and I'm doing um, uh, I guess on night times we're doing a lot of auctions and on Saturdays as well. So that that's kind of the uh, the week, the way it splits up, I guess. I think what a lot of people don't realize, and I didn't know either when I was um, running my, even running my own real estate business, is that um, about 40% of properties that get sold uh, in Australia don't hit the market. So um, uh, they're, they're, they're either uh, sold as a – so they were about to hit the market. They're a pre-market opportunity where the agent says, well, we'll put the feelers out to – buyers agents and my small database before we actually hit the market so in other words yeah they'll they're about to come on the market next week but they'll say hey well uh we're getting 10 people through do you want to come through i say yep so we go through and if there's a if it's a match and my buyers like it we buy it and so a lot of properties get sold that way um and part of the reason they do that is just to get a good feel for especially as a, you know the agents want to know what they should be quoting for that property so getting 10 people through they get a bit of a feel so that it's a soft launch I guess. Um, and then there's complete off market opportunities and what they are is that there's a lot of people who don't want to hit the market because um, you know they've they number one they save a lot of money in marketing mm. so there's you know a five to ten thousand dollar saving depending on the budget of or the price of their home. Um, the other reason they do that is they don't want all these people trampling through their home. Um, they don't want the neighbors to know. So there's, there's a whole range of reasons. But um, overall, personally, I mean, I love all the pre-market properties. They're great opportunities because the vendor is motivated to sell. We're just getting in before anyone else. Mm. Um, the off-market opportunities, I like probably 30 or 40% of those, whereas 60 to 70% of them are overpriced. Um, the vendor's not motivated. And so you've got to just sort out through those opportunities a bit, you know, be a bit more careful. But they're, they're you know, at the moment, as a company that I work for, Cohen Handler, who are the biggest agents in, in Australia, we're buying 43% uh, currently uh, off and pre market. So that's you know, huge numbers. We've got an offer come through today and uh, they went through the very first open on Saturday. Uh, the agents are made of mine. Look, my, my relationships are what? Is very important in the marketplace that I that I work in, and so funny enough, I just bought off the agent uh, in December as well. So hopefully we're going to do another deal uh, today or tomorrow on another property that he's got, and um, and it's like I said to my buyer, you know, ten minutes ago, it's 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 a quick game. So once we're in, we're in, and the less buyers that get to see it, the better. So mm. even though this one wasn't pre market, it was actually on the market. There are only a handful of buyers there so we shouldn't have too many dramas in wrapping it up and the job that I need to do obviously as a buyer's agent is make sure that uh, the value is there that we'll make fifty dollars or $100,000 on, on this purchase. If we can't, then we'll just move on to something else.
1: Nanny's number one priority is helping his clients purchase the right property. From there, his happy clients spread the word.
0: of of our business is referral and repeat, so in the end, the reason I get referral and repeat business is because obviously people are happy that they've made money, and um, all in all, what it comes down to is um, my clients have to make money, so in other words, uh, we buy undervalued properties. Um, I can name on one or count on one hand the times that we've paid market price for a property and it's only because my buyer, my client, fell in love with the house or the property and said, oh, i just got to have it. I don't care what I pay. Usually I can talk them out of that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's been a handful of times that they go, no, no, no. And look, there are extreme cases as well. We bought, you know, uh, late last year, we bought a property f- uh, for $6.5 million. And they said, we don't care. We just want to have this, you know. And I said, OK. So we didn't get much of a discount. I still think we did well. It's an amazing, you know, unique property. overlooking a Tamarama Beach. But it's not like we saved a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars. In the end, the, the job is to make sure that my clients make money. And because like I said I, I do a, a lot with investors, um, if we can't make money, you know, fifty or a hundred thousand dollars on a purchase, then we move on to the next one because I know that I can. And so that already gives them a reason to use me. I mean, why wouldn't you? Um, and you know, because obviously it offsets whatever we charge. And by by a long shot. And, and basically, it makes sure that you're buying the right property per, for, un, for under what you should be paying, you know, and, and that's and that, that, that's why people use us, the main reason.
1: His company covers the East Coast cities of Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney. Uh,
0: the main focus, I guess, is uh, is still Sydney in the sense that they've got, the company's got four, four or five offices in Sydney, so North Shore and West and, you yeah, um, Inner West and Cronulla and all those sorts of areas. Um, I personally look after um, well mainly Sydney metropolitan personally I, I do most of the I do all the eastern suburbs and some of the inner west and inner city but I have two PAs where they also run around to you know one's based in Cronulla so all of the south end and one's based in Parramatta so all the west and that works for me because I guess I've been around this game for a very long time and so I get a lot of referral work and they want me to go all over Sydney so I um, we carry um, about fifteen to twenty clients with the three of us, and we, um, yeah, that gets us, keeps us busy, but not, you know, um, uh, I guess it keeps us turning over uh, property each month and uh, and buying well.
1: He brought his longtime friend and mentor to work with him at Hard Courts, who then encouraged him to set and achieve bigger goals.
0: He owns a very large portfolio, and he asked me the question, um, you know, seven or eight years ago, saying, "What's your strategy?" with owning these, uh, these investment properties that you've got. And I said, um, I, don't, I don't really have a strategy. Uh, or I guess my strategy was that um, I keep doing what I did before and just um, because I'd owned a home with my parents, I found that, uh, you know, we're just getting ahead and I could pay off my own home eventually. And that was, that was it for as far as a strategy. I just wanted to pay off my own home. And he said, um, that's good. You know, that's better than most um but it's still not you know you could do a whole lot more i mean you're a young man you you haven't reached 40 yet and you could do bigger goals and i thought yeah cool so he asked me the question and he said um so how much money do you need to live on each year if you didn't have to pay your rent or a mortgage and uh, first i thought what the hell is he talking about i have no idea you know i mean we earn what we earn but i don't know he said, well, can you survive or are you happy to be earning $100,000 a year uh, if you didn't have to pay rent or a mortgage? And I said, yeah, oh, hell, that, 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 that's awesome because if I didn't have those expenses, then I could still travel overseas each year, um, you know, have dinners out, uh, obviously run your household electricity and all the bills and food and be happy days because I've had a lot of spare time. And he said, well, all right, let's work on $100,000. He said, how many properties do you need to own? in order for you to have $100,000 worth of income? And again, I thought, I have no idea. So we started working out of my properties what they're roughly bringing in per annum, and the answer was $25,000 each. So very quick mathematics. We went, well, if I had four of those, that will give me $100,000 worth of income per annum. And he said, yep, cool. And then he said, well, how many properties would you need to buy in order to own four outright? And Oh, sorry, five, because you've got to have one to live in. And I said, well, I don't know. Is this a trick question? He said, no, it's not. But you've got to understand that, he said, look, you've been around now for, you know, uh, back then it was probably 15, 16 years in the business. And he said, you've seen two, two boom periods, you know, two cycles of a, of a cyclical marketplace. In other words, something that repeats every seven to 10 years. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well um, – Every time it goes through 7 to 10 years, it doubles in price. So how many properties do you want to own in order to uh, to own five outright? And, he said, and I said, I have no idea. He said, look, you usually double it. So if you want to own five properties outright, you want to be buying 10. So that basically when you go through one or two cycles, so in other words, 10 or 20 years, then you can sell off half and pay off the other half. And that became my, my plan for the next uh, – well, still living it, I guess, but <laughs> my plan for the for the future. And I owned three at the time. Then we bought a block of four because I wanted to accelerate it. And since then, we've bought another block of units and another two properties. So we're sitting at about 12 at the moment and we're looking to develop both blocks. So that'll end up with probably over – well, not not probably, but over 25 properties. and And the hardest ones to buy were the first, second, and third. <laughs> Funny enough. <laughs>
1: he sticks to Sydney for his own portfolio due to some of the stories he's heard from investors buying out of the state.
0: A lot of people uh, have moved or bought property in Queensland for a very long time and when I say horror stories, not horror, horror but I mean you know, uh, only a few horror stories, the rest of them just is always decided to come back so they'd always go to Queensland, always buy there and then two years later they're back mm. and, and, and made very little money. So that's that's been with me for now for a long time so i never really had any um uh well faith in in buying interstate um i do believe in melbourne because i've heard good stories from melbourne different different times but i've also heard some some bad stories i guess what i learned since then because i started uh i guess investigating a bit more about interstate because you know as I speak at a lot of expos and conferences, I hear other speakers speak about how they should buy in, you know, Melbourne and Brisbane and all that. And when, when experts sort of wrote Sydney off, wrote it off last year, they were all saying go to Brisbane, go to Brisbane. But I started uh, thinking a bit harder about that and reading some more articles about it. And what it made me realize is that, um, Sydney and Melbourne have the most population growth each year, uh, led by Sydney, but followed closely by Melbourne. And, um, as far as uh, uh, what creates a marketplace for an investor is uh, or anyone is supply and demand and the, the, the problem with I think particularly Brisbane and the West Coast as well so you know uh, Perth and Adelaide and, and so forth is that they lack the population growth and so without population growth you don't have demand um, and the problem then is that if you've got a, like a mining boom say in Perth where it's led by the mining boom that, we, that, that, that ended and which was always going to end, then it means that you've got an oversupply. And that's what I'm seeing, particularly in Brisbane and now in, in Melbourne, that there's just an oversupply. They're just building high-rise left, right and centre. Even though they've got the infrastructure, This the population growth doesn't it doesn't keep up with the demand. Uh, sorry, sorry, the, 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 the supply. Yeah, the Sorry, (laughs) and so yeah, and so that that's the problem and this is the problem that Sydney will face this year I think as well that you know, we it's always happens at the tail end of the boom Mm. What finishes the boom is an oversupply and that's what you're about to see in Sydney as well But it hasn't been that case just because of population growth and the Chinese buying in in Sydney Have been so that the demand has been far outweighing the supply yeah and that's why I, I, I haven't and I don't see myself ever leaving Sydney.
1: Sydney properties are averaging over a million dollars, but Nanny hasn't noticed that deterring people.
0: In fact, it motivates them more to come into it. Um, so, I mean, affordability um, till till recently was there still, you know, around four and a half percent. So it's still been fairly affordable because our wages obviously kept up with with demand. Having, having said that, um, you look at, you look at, uh, at Sydney and I guess it's hard to just talk about Sydney because Sydney's broken up into three or four different marketplaces. Um, and so whenever you hear reports of Sydney, you've got to think, well, hang on, what's driving that? So you've got the east, you've got the blue, blue ribbon areas of the north shore and that, and then you've got the other tiers that are working alongside, um, and then you've got the west. So there's a lot of different marketplaces happening in these different demographics Um the other thing to think of is, you know, as far as putting all eggs in one basket, is that you know, I've got investors, particularly one guy that owns, you know, 35, 40 one bedroom units around Darlinghurst and Potts Point. And a lot of people have said to him over the last 30, 40 years, why don't you diversify? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, this has kind of worked out for him, you know. So, yes. <laughs>
1: yeah. Exceptionally so, around that area.
0: Exceptionally well. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of my other business partners owns a lot of blocks of units in Sydney, all over Sydney. And That worked out for him as well. So, yeah, I guess I I have living examples of proof of guys that have done it before. And that's where I'm, I guess, I'm getting my my life lessons as well.
1: Coming up after the break, Nanny delves into how important his Bondite property is to him.
0: And also, I knew that if I got myself in trouble, I could sell off the other three properties that I owned at the time because I'd rather keep a block of four units in Bondi than anything else that I had.
1: He shares the thrilling story of how he landed the units. I rang my
0: broker as soon as I saw the auction sign because it was in 20 days and I said, um, hey, what do you think? Can we get this done? And he said, oh man, you know, I'll do my best but I don't know, you know, I don't know if I can get it done in time.
1: He reveals the way he sees some people's approach to life and why it isn't the best way to go about life.
0: I find that a lot of people Ah, more reactive to life and the world as opposed to proactive and whereas I like to be, you know, I have run a business for a long time so you have to be um, thinking about where you want to take that business.
1: And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, Property Investor. Nanny is cautious as an investor, which has helped him avoid making any major mistakes.
0: I think that the lowest of the low was probably that block of land where you know things didn't work out for me, and then um, I also found out that um, uh, this land is sort of on, on a hill and it overlooks the ocean, beautiful part of the world. It's just that because of that, I hadn't done any research. I mean, I was a young guy, and apparently there was um, like a, a below it, uh, like in the ground, was like a natural water um, sort of easement running down the bottom and uh, underneath it. And so it meant that for me to build on it, I'd have to really spend a lot of money doing that. Um, So had I started, you know, I I did get plans approved, um, but had I started to actually hit the button and build, that could have really been a a tragic uh, thing to do because it it would have sucked a lot of cash and a lot of capital. Still to today, I still drive past that block from time to time, and no one's built on it. And I think <laughs> okay. it's because of that reason. Yeah yeah, 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 and And besides that, there were other problems that, you know, even one of the neighbors had built his house on, uh, was encroaching on that land as well. So it had a lot of challenges, a lot of problems that I just didn't see at the time and know and, and did enough homework to, and I bought it. So I just saw the views of the ocean and went, yeah, this is beautiful, but had a lot of problems. So I was very lucky to. To duck away or get out of that and it was because I decided I didn't want to live there anymore, it wasn't so much as a bad investment and then what really cemented my decision to sell it was that I thought well um, you know it has got these other challenges um, maybe i just just get out of this and take my 100 uh, which I thought I'd sort of make around a 100 and, and run and that's what happened but I've, besides that I've always been um, very cautious like even when I bought the block of units in Bondi I knew that uh, that building has subsided so I've had to underpin it, it cost me you know 70000 seventy thousand to do that and that was risky but I knew that the the uh, I was very calculated risk in the sense that um, I, I'd spoken to a structural engineer he said yeah tops hundred thousand dollars to underpin it um, not that it would be a hundred percent but it would be livable and you'll be fine with that investment and I thought that's fine I can handle a hundred thousand dollar you know loss into it because I bought it for a lot under what the mm. value, whatever it was worth. And also I knew that if I got myself in trouble, I could sell off the other three properties that I owned at the time because I'd rather keep a block of four units in Bondi than anything else that I had. And the pinning just means that they dig uh, holes, um, they, they dig all the way around the footings and they literally pour concrete into the ground surrounding it. So they give it bigger bigger shoes, I guess. And they um, they drill into your footings and they put steel rods and the, the, the new concrete um, attaches itself to give it um, just bigger footings. That's ba- basically what it means. So it's now sitting on a, a massive uh, uh, tonne of concrete that's sitting underneath the building. Oh, um, right. So it just means that it stops any more movement because I don't know if you know, but most people don't, but all of Bondi and, and a lot of the eastern suburbs are built on sand dunes. Yes. So um, yeah, there used to be all sand dunes there. So sand dune, sand is great to build them, but the challenge with it, and these are things you learn along the way, is that um, uh, it, it when when uh, when the roads shake because of traffic, we're on a main road, the road shakes, and if you're uh if if there's water getting in because um the people who owned it before us uh, let the well, uh, they didn't do any maintenance work to the block, so all of the stormwater and everything was uh, running underneath the footings. And so you can imagine if you put sand in a glass, um, if you th- throw put water in it as well and shake it, you'll see that you know it all moves. And so sand actually carries vibration, and so that's what causes buildings or, or property to actually subside and, 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 and move and crack. Um, so – Sand is amazing to build on, so I've been told by a lot of engineers. As long as it's well contained, you know, yeah. if it's not, <laughs> then it can just slide down like an hourglass, and that's that's exactly what happened.
1: And also, Bondi has fantastic views of the ocean.
0: The good thing is, look, we're about to, yeah, build up and put that DA through, and we can put another two, two or four units on there. And and the minute we go up one level, yeah, we got amazing views, and that that will change. Uh, you know, a $4 million uh, investment um, to a $12 million investment, wow. 10 or 12 depending. Yeah, and that that just changes the, the whole dynamics of everything. And that and that, That's pretty
1: cool. His aha moment featured the block of units he had his eye on for a while and he ended up bidding without having his finance approved so he could beat the boom.
0: It has to be the building, I mean, because that, that really changed our, our, our lives. So the, the, the biggest thing that happened there was that... Uh, I didn't have uh, finance approved at the time to buy it because what happened was um, I was traveling a lot for, for Harcourts, you know, interstate and I and I just got off the plane, uh, caught a cab home and I drove past and I'd been keeping an eye on blocks of units because I knew that was going to be something that would really accelerate, you know, the portfolio and really get myself uh, on, on the right path. So I was keeping an eye on this block and two or three others. And uh, it had been on the market for a long time, and the market hadn't moved yet. Um, my business partner and 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 uh, mentor at the time said, uh, "You know, the boom's coming in the next 12 or, or or 24 months." And I said, "Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's overdue because of the GFC and other things. It just took a long longer time to get here." So anyway, I saw that they'd slapped an auction sticker on this block, and I thought, "Oh no!" I thought, "I've got to. I'm going to have to move fast." Um, so I rang my broker as soon as I saw the auction sign, cause it was in 20 days. And I said, um, Hey, what do you think? Can we get this done? And he said, Oh man, you know, I'll do my best, but I don't know, you know, I don't know if I can get it done in time. So he started working on the finance and, um, well, uh, 20 days later, because it was all a bit complicated, whatever, he still didn't have formal finance, you know, or loan approval. Oh, no. But I knew that, um, I knew that I just had to go for it because if it was a block – if this was going to go for under 2 mil, I had to have my name on it because mm. there was been no no sales in the area for under 2 mil for a block of units like that. So if this was the opportunity, I had to do it. And I remember being at the auction. Um, you know, Damon Cooley, one of the best auctioneers, said this 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 time he wasn't on my side. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, and basically, um, you know, I, I, he said to me, don't go over 1.75. And I thought, okay, and it actually did um because I, I i thought that i had it so i had to just go a little bit over um plus i wanted to test him make sure it was really good anyway and uh <laughs> and so we bought it and uh look I, I must have yeah that was quite the morning when i woke up thinking what what have i just done you know
1: <laughs> Bias <But from>
0: <laughs> absolutely you know boy t- talk about you know so having that feeling you know i do help a lot of my my clients obviously because i know exactly what that feels like but i also know that um it's been the best decision in in real estate when you say when everything fell into line. That's been it. Wow. I mean, uh, you know, it. it, it uh, we changed the rents from four hundred dollars a week uh, on average in, in the two bedroom units up to seven hundred.
1: Wow, that's a big jump.
0: Huge jump. You know, we and, we and that's without a complete renovation. It's just that they're undervalued. Um, the tenants have been there forever. They were just run down. So it was literally a coat of paint, uh, new floors. Without even changing kitchens or bathrooms, just tight tidy up. We really changed um yeah, the the rents wow. overnight. So everything just literally like you say, fell into place. And we moved into the worst one and, and we've only really just finished renovating it last year. Um and uh and that was probably the the hardest thing to do to live in a yeah, yeah half unrenovated place yes. but um but the rest all looked great and 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 it's, yeah it's been the best journey ever
1: he ended up paying slightly over what he was recommended to spend making the final purchase price at about 1.765 million dollars
0: an extra 15 thank god it I, wasn't I don't much. think I had any more yeah, it yeah I, I, and I thought to myself I can cover that if it comes down to it I'll cover it because yeah. I also got a long uh, 4 month settlement so if anything went wrong I could I had time to either sell or do something you know so wow. So it was a real, it was a yeah, it was a leap of faith, um, but it was a calculated leap at the same time, knowing Excellent. that yeah, we had stuff to sell to to make it happen.
1: And when would you say that was purchased? That
0: was uh, six and a half, seven years ago now.
1: Wow, I'm assuming it's worth a lot more than the one point seven six million dollars you purchased it at.
0: Four four and a half uh, just got valued uh, recently at, and uh, and that's without doing anything like any any um. I guess any uh, development so that, that that's the next phase and that'll really change things.
1: Although he has so much to be excited about, the DA approval he's about to put through takes the cake.
0: One of the, the biggest challenges there is to work out, um, we've had a few architects come through and and believe it or not, so if you can picture a fully renovated block of units with a nice backyard, and front yard and everything looks beautiful now. They're all saying to me, I need to knock it down. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to get my head around that, and I still am, to be honest. But the numbers are so good. We do knock it down, but it's hard to actually ignore that. Um, So after doing all this work and doing a lot of it myself and having a lot of memories there and, you know, doing, you know, yeah, just everything's got a story to it. um, To be faced with the prospect that we're going to knock it down um, is is huge. Um, But having said that, um, yeah, look, the money we stand to make, and that's where you need to put your emotions aside and say, "Well, um, that uh, the block's already set my family up, uh, not just that block, but a few of the other properties. But um, the other block of units that we own is also is on a thousand square metre block of land, and we've recently, uh, just late last year, we bought the house next door with another thousand square metre block, so we can de- develop that into twenty-five units. So, wow. yeah, I won't. I say I won't but you know that's a long-term project I don't I don't see myself doing that for another 10 years but to know that we can do that and that they're both positive geared is great Mm -hmm. um, because it means that we're just sitting on a a nest egg so that's so I guess it's all very exciting knowing to answer the question knowing that that the future you know whichever way we go the future's pretty much we've done the hard yards I guess is probably what you could say
1: the only thing that was holding him back from investing was a lack of knowledge on what to do, and he's found he's not alone.
0: I find that with my clients as well that there's a feeling that you got to do something, but just not knowing what it is that you've got to do, and and that in itself, you know, well, I guess yeah, there's fear involved, and there's all different things that happen, and a lot of people you understand that uh, everyone's a real estate um, uh, expert or advisor, <laughs> you know, in life, you know, uh, and the more barbecues I, I attend now, you know. People will ask me because they know who I am, and they'll sort of go, "Hey, what do you think this year? Or what should I do? Or whatever else?" And there's always I start telling them what I what I think, and then there's always someone that will jump in and 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 start to sort of give more advice, you know. And the people around me who know who I am or whatever else might, you know, they will always have a laugh with me and sort of go or at me and say, "Um, yeah, you know, everyone's a real estate expert." And one of the 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 biggest parts of I guess what I've what I've done and. Um, I guess uh, what what really kicked me off was having great mentors around me, and those mentors um, have amazing portfolios. They're, they're very smart guys who um, who basically, I guess, uh, worked it out. And, and one of them always says, you know, uh, it's life is all about, you know, you get hit with a challenge, and you just got to work it out. And one of those is financial stability, and and a lot of people don't work it out, so. Uh, the word entrepreneur gets thrown around these days like you know i watch uh, my wife watches a bit of reality tv where everyone's you know when, when they when they join like on the bachelor or something they're an entrepreneur you know <laughs> but yeah yeah but, but when they get asked you know what what is, what is it that they're entrepreneurial about Oh, it's just that it's who i am <laughs> okay but what have you done you know and i think uh, the biggest for me an entrepreneur is someone who's actually yeah, I worked it out as far as um, financially and said, well, you know, I worked out how to make money without uh, my time. In other words, my money makes me money and that's the point. When that penny drops and you finally realize that in life you're either going to be a slave to your job, um, which, which also makes it that you don't enjoy your job as much because if you're a slave to it, it you know, you've got to get up every day and you have to show up, then you soon realize that, um, hey, it's better to do something that I really love. If I don't really have to, and that that becomes really cool. So if you work that out and realize that it's either you getting up every day and making a lot of money, or what's your money actually doing? Because a lot of people are sitting on, especially in Sydney after the boom, sitting on a lot of equity. And uh, and when I show up and I meet, you know, my my potential clients who are all in the 40s and 50s in, in that regard, and they're sitting on a lot of equity, a you know, million dollars, two million dollars worth of equity. Their money sits at home every day whilst they get up every morning and go to work, and they don't do anything about it. And I say, well, why don't we get that money to start working for you? And that—that's that's the big shift.
1: He extends the strategy that he uses himself to his clients and tweaks it to suit the individual buyer.
0: It's typically the same. Um, it's just, um, I guess, what changes is uh, well, depending on what they have and what their past experiences has been have been and also what areas they're looking to invest in. Because even though I'll say to them, you know, I think you should invest here, hey, they've got to feel comfortable and I can only advise or suggest it's really their journey, not mine. But I know that um probably 80% of the time they'll they'll follow me and say, yeah, that sounds great. Let's go with that. Um, the strategy doesn't change that much. I mean you can read I think you can read a lot of books on the subject and and I have and and generally speaking, you know, it's all about uh, being able to build a fo- portfolio where you've got positive-geared property um, sitting in it, in other words, not costing you money. Uh, generally speaking, they're all interest only. And the biggest mental shift to get around your mind is that you're not actually in the business of paying off you know, 10 homes. You're in the business of holding those homes, uh, and what's making you money is the boom periods. The reality is, is that, um, yes, you can wait. You can do it and... Uh, there's two key things I think that that have worked for me besides that strategy is that I fabricate my own equity by renovating. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know that makes uh, makes it so that I get more return on each property and also it values up uh, for, to buy the next one. And so once I've got something that's positive geared, I've also got a lot of equity in it so I can then use that to to keep going. So hence, the hardest ones to buy, are the first, second, and third, but after that, the rest become pretty easy. But we maintain a pretty, uh, you know, high goals, like we said in the last episode, and a routine of each year we renovate two or three. We do, you know, um, yeah, we do, we, we 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 reinvest in it, I guess, and we're you know, we're constantly adding more value so that everything values up and moves on to the next one. You know, I've heard other strategies out there, and uh, some of them is to flip but the problem with flipping properties is that I believe you lose a lot of money mm. in fees and costs and things, you know, and taxes. Um, so I find that you're better off keeping that equity in that home and using it for the next one. Um, the other part of that is that um, – or the other strategy that I've heard um, that kind of – well, it's been around for a while, but there's different people that have come along and um, revived it, I guess, is that instead of owning, you know, 10 properties and selling down half and paying off half – uh, they end up owning 30, 40 or 50 properties and what they're living off is just that they buy them only when they're positive geared and they buy them so that they're, um, uh, the, the money they're making is like you know, 100 or $200 on, off each property each month. But if you've got 30 of them, then obviously you've, got, you've replaced your income. Um, the downside of that is that um, it's not for me, so I don't tend to advise it because I find that it's higher risk and I find that well, you just don't have the equity that, that I've got. You know, like we're on 50% equity, 50% loans. You know, we've still got, you know, $6.5 million out there, but um, we can cash in $3.5 million. Definitely. You know, or three, mm. Yeah, so that, that, that that's the difference, and that's what uh, I guess lets me sleep at night. And that's the point. It only takes one storm to come through, and then you end up in a lot of trouble. Mm. Um and I know that there's a couple out there at the moment that are that are saying, no, no, it's all great, but you know, they've only lived uh through one boom. And uh and you know, there's a storm always coming and you've got to out that's what you've got to outlive. You know, any yeah. any captain can steer a ship in perfect weather.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know
0: that's that's a thing. So um so I think have, yeah, having equity and having positive geared around you You really, I mean, I say you can't go wrong, but you've got less chance of going wrong, and you can always sell one to to get yourself out of trouble if you had to.
1: He reveals how important his business relationships are in the Sydney market.
0: I'm amazed as well because I thought um, the toughest time was um, a year and a half ago when the market got really tough for about a quarter, Um, and that was the the hardest time because we typically bring, you know. Um, we cover our wage, you know, what we charge, and we usually double or treble it. So in other words, you know, we make them around fifty thousand dollars a purchase um, by buying undervalued. But um, look, we still managed to do it. They still exist. I mean, we just bought one in December um, where it was a two-bedroom unit in Bondi. We paid just over the million dollars—a million, a million and eleven dollars. Um, it's worth—it got valued. The value came through and said it was worth one one five. So we made one hundred and fifty grand for them. Um, they're currently going through a renovation where it'll be worth even more than that. Um, so that the properties do exist. Um, how we do it? Yeah, look, we're doing it every day. So our relationships with the agents are, you know, second to none because they've known me for such a long time. I've known them. I've been a real estate agent for twenty years, so I even, you know, help them along the way to create deals and advise them and teach them and do different things. But the reality is, is that I mean, we've got a great working relationship. So whenever they've got something, they'll. Share it with me and say, "Hey, look, um, I need to sell this for a million bucks uh, or nine hundred and fifty, for example. Uh, you got to buy." And I'll say, "Yeah, absolutely," and um, and we do a deal. Um, and out of every ten deals that I see at the moment, there are two or three that are undervalued. Uh, the rest of them are either so five of those are on market and two or three are overpriced. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the current scenario. When the market changes and it becomes uh, well, when it got really tight, it was you know only one deal out of the ten that became undervalued, and that was very tough. Mm. But uh, typically, it floats around those sort of numbers, and then if it becomes um, on the opposite, which Bondi rarely becomes a, a buyers' market, but if it did, it kind of be born balanced. So it might be you know five of them are are undervalued and five aren't, you know that sort of thing. Yeah. But, um, but there are undervalued properties all the time. Not forgetting that the reason why people struggle to buy those, I guess, without us is that the second part of that is that you've got to, um, you've got to actually recognise an undervalued property when you see it. And I see a lot of uh, buyers that are my competitors; they show up and they struggle to, they hesitate because they don't, they don't know the market, they don't know what value when they see it. So whereas I do, and I know that that's something that that I can get a good deal there and I jump on it. I live uh, in, in in the east now for uh, 17, 18 years So, and I've kept an eye on the market for that long and I've worked it for the last seven or eight years now. So um, yeah, you get to know it pretty well.
1: Are you able to share a personal habit that's contributed to your property investment success?
0: I'm competitive but I like to get it right and I guess as a habit, uh, I like to know that um, I'm in a safe place. In other words, safety or security is a big thing in part of my world. So the habits that, that 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 I run around my my daily or weekly or monthly is um, I guess what we talked about before, which is setting a goal each year for for the whole year and then breaking it down uh, per month and or per quarter and per month and then per week. So I run a pretty tight ship uh, and we're, we're busy people, uh, both wife and I, and, and we just um, we get through the the the, the weeks, so every you know Sunday night, the habit that I have is that I'll sit whilst we're watching a bit of TV but I'll actually sit and and break down and I'll reanalyze the yearly goals and I'll break down to see what has to happen this week, you know. So, uh, I find that a lot of people are more reactive to life and the world as opposed to proactive and whereas I like to be, you know, I've run a business for a long time so you have to be um, thinking about where you want to take
1: that business. I think that's a fantastic personal habit that anyone can really pick up because it's Really, just reviewing your goals on a weekly basis, not just at the end of the year or beginning of the year.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right, or not have goals at all, which yes. you know a lot of, a lot of people don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I hope my wife's listening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to send it out to this.
0: I know, I know, no, but she, she's been great. But when we first met, she, uh, yeah, we only got married last year, so when we first met, Congrats. she said, "Wow." You do all this, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was. Yeah, I used to work for, for a company, but I said, yeah, this is the way this is the way it runs. But no, she she's she's been great. And look, I will tell you what, I mean, you know, uh, part of this is also having a partner alongside that is your actual partner, you know, your best friend, but also that comes along for the journey because that's where a lot of I see a lot of clients struggle with that because one of the two will be motivated to um, to invest and to get ahead in life, and if the other one's not. Can be a huge challenge. Mm. So, uh, part of that is is making sure that your goals all happen together and, and you're aiming the same way, because that can be, well, a make or break a deal basically.
1: Nanny's recommendation for books on property investing is to start with the classics.
0: I haven't uh, read uh, uh, books like that for some time. I used to read a lot of them. Um, I know that uh, probably two of the the ones that really changed or or got me on the right thinking was uh, rich dad poor dad which i know everyone talks about but Mm. he's such a good book for its time that you know the principles are still there um i used to actually get up and speak about that book that's how i first got got started speaking you know about investing because i um i thought yeah this makes sense you know like it's all about money makes money and uh either that or you make it yourself and and uh and i had a similar experience where you know um you know we're, we're blue we migrated to Australia uh, when I was eight years old, and my family came out. and And for me, I mean, my dad's a uh, you know um, blue collar worker, so you know, um, a tradie. So in the end, I mean, uh, my rich dad was more my my first business partner, who was my mentor as well, and and that's how I learned how to invest in real estate. So I could really relate to that book, um, and I still can. And uh, and then there's uh, the richest man in Babylon, was probably another one that that um, that also helped me. Uh, recognize that if you you know you've got to pay yourself first and uh and the moral of that book is that basically yeah you've got to invest and put money aside so that um it uh it money again makes money same principle and it, and it just accumulates um uh, and if you don't do that then you're, you're doing yourself an injustice so once you get your head around uh things like that it, it they can change your perception uh, and it's part of the journey and i think especially if you're you know starting out and want to get your hands on a good book i think they'd be great and look i haven't read them in a long time so even when you ask me i've got to think back right you know? <laughs> but but it's funny how they stick in your mind you can quickly just go oh hang on a minute um but the principles are in, in your head basically that, that's the point
1: Thank you to Walter Nanny, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short 6 months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040